Do you enjoy diving the podcast and would you like to support our work? If you'd like to get Justin out of the editing suite in his basement and diving again, be sure to check out our Patreon page to find fantastic ways to support this podcast. One of the cool perks is exclusive early access to episodes before they post with no ads. Each week, we like to thank some of our Patreons, and this week, we thank Dion. Go to patreon.com slash diveinpod for more. People are just blown away by the unique views that they've never seen before. They never thought that it's possible for anyone to swim under the ice, and they, they wonder how how is this possible? How is he not coming up for air? Uh, what if his hole freezes over? But once again, we're only under there for a matter of a minute or two minutes, so... Yeah, they've been really well received in general. It's episode 64 of Dive in the Podcast with special guest Andrew Risable. Dive in the Podcast is a weekly all about diving podcast for everyone. Whether you explore the oceans as a snorkel or scuba diver, free diver or tech diver, Dive in has something for you. This show is filled with diving news, featured interviews, and guests from around the world with interesting dive topics and ocean advocacy. Visit DiveInPod.com to find out more about the show, past guests, and our Patreon. Hi, everyone. I'm April. I'm Justin, and on Gearing Up this week, we chat snorkels. I'm Amit, and we're chatting shoulder gearings on the side mount segment. I'm Nick, and we're the hosts of Dive in the Podcast. So what did you guys think about last week's episode? Mark Powell. It was a fun episode. The guy's uh, got a lot going on and knows a lot about a lot of things. I think Amit was in heaven. I was. There's no question. Absolutely no question. <laughs> I was just like, we need to just stop the interview and just talk to him. Like, let's forget about the interview. Let's just talk to him. And that's all we're doing today. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, we did have to do the interview. So <laughs> but it was awesome. <laughs> I, I think that's, you know, the, the kind of interview and the kind of material you get from a guy like Mark Powell is is what you get when somebody has spent pretty much their entire life dedicated to technical diving, but also, mm. you know, spent four years pulling all, kind of sifting through all the research, all the data, all the papers, and kind of clearing up in, in a single volume, you know, decompression theory for, for, for yeah. technical divers or for divers in general, so... Um, I think that's one of those guests that brings a wealth of knowledge um, to, to to our audience and a lot of stuff there to, for people to take away. And uh, even then, you know, just scratching the surface. Yeah, he's, he's like my UK Neil Pollock, man. <laughs> no. <laughs> I wish that we recorded the video for that episode because just watching a mitt in the background, like literally like just like fists going like, yes, this is what I want to hear. He was like so excited. It was very entertaining to watch. Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely fun. And, uh, you know, one day, one day maybe we'll have a video podcast. and so then, uh, then we'll all yeah. have to pay attention to the camera too. So. Yeah, I know. We'll have to Until, brush our hair and stuff. <sighs> nah, well, we're not going to go that far. <laughs> you had a uh, shout out you wanted to bring up April. I have a couple. Oh. So, I had like a lot of interaction with our listeners this week, which was really fun because I always like chatting with our listeners. Uh, But my first one, who I've actually meant to shout her out a couple of times on the show, but I also have a terrible memory. But Hayden, um, she's a longtime listener of ours and she reaches out to me on Instagram uh, quite a bit. And I always love chatting with her. 
But uh, she said that listening to this podcast has really gotten her more into diving this year. And it's made diving part of her day to day, which is just like the best thing ever. That's Love awesome. to hear that. That's yeah. nice. Thanks, Hayden. Um, my next shout out, one of our uh, previous guests, Sandra Klopp. So she saw some of the pictures I posted on Facebook um, of doing some of my drills with the deco bottle. And she actually like sent me a Facebook message and gave me some advice on like how to position my bottle, which of course she did in like a very, very nice way. And I thought that was like the coolest thing ever that <laughs> this like extremely talented diver would take mm. the time to even look at my photo and then take more time <laughs> to send me a message and like give me advice. Um, so that was really amazing. So thank you, Sandra, for that. And then a couple of our local listeners, uh, because here in Nova Scotia, everything opened back up today. So people could actually come in the shop. Randy noticed your absence last week, Justin. <laughs> and, so sorry, Randy. <laughs> he was like, well, what the hell happened to Justin last week? But anyways, <laughs> that uh, you were missed, I will say, by Randy. You were missed. Sorry, Randy. I'll try not to do it again. And my final uh, little shout out here is for uh, our good friend, Jeff. And uh, he said he would get some pink fins to do technical dives with me after listening to the episode that came out on Monday. <laughs> so. Thanks, Jeff. We'll have a little, uh, with a mitt, we'll have like a pink fins dive club. Where we nice. So, diving. so Dion, if you're listening to this, you're also going to get a pair of pink <laughs> fins for your next birthday. <laughs> maybe, maybe for uh, Christmas, I'll order three pairs of like extra large pink uh, fins and I'll give them to y'all. We might, we might need like double extras larges or double triple extra larges. <laughs> I got to have a look, but I think I'm at least double extra large in the F1. So. Okay. See what we can do. Well, Take care of the details. We'll, we'll figure it out. Make later. it happen. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll can make I, a. We'll... Can I throw like a, a a mini shout out? Are you allowed to do mini shout outs here? Since we yeah. were throwing it's our show, down. we can do whatever oh, we want. It's your okay, show. this is cool. It's man. your party. I like that. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to put out there that like in a in a uh, a wicked wicked episode that we had, we spoke to Sheena McNally, and she is a person that actually understood what roti and coke really means and <laughs> i just wanted to throw out that like i had posted something um about roti uh on facebook and i got a like from sheena mcnally so hey sheena oh. thank you very much for understanding roti and coke uh, you made my day with the like <laughs> well if we're on that note did you guys see that our good friend there dr harry harris when he posted his photo today with the new book he was wearing a torpedo rays shirt no get out of here How was it? i didn't notice yeah, that i didn't see the picture cool. but I, I didn't notice yeah. that he actually posted it with a torpedo rays i'm gonna have to go back now and look yeah. sweet so that was cool nice that's awesome all right that's all we got for shout outs so that's right. a lot of shout outs. Cool. That's good. That's a good shout out. Yeah. I feel like it was a good catch up for having a few episodes without any shout outs. So yeah. speaking of shouting out, let's uh, let's shout over to our guest tonight. We're speaking to Andrew Risable. Andrew is a Canadian ice freediver, Ada freediving instructor, as well as a competitive freediver. Andrew and his wife, Lily, a Canadian national record holder, share a deep passion for freediving, the journey they document through eye catching videos on their social media platforms. Welcome to the podcast, Andrew. Thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Welcome. Welcome, everyone who's listening. It's good to be here today. Uh, nice sunny day, but it's also fun uh, sitting here inside chatting with you for. 
Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. We do appreciate you coming on. And, yeah. uh, and we'll, we'll be circling back to you in just a minute. Andrew, we're going to uh, talk about some news and then we'll, uh, then we'll get on with your interview. So just hang tight cool. while we, while we chat. Um, a Nova Scotia company was accused of failing to live up to the sentence in the diver's death. This one's a bit of sad news. Um, a few years back, uh, there was an accident. And I guess we'll get into that in the news coverage here. So in the news today, a Nova Scotia local commercial diving company, Paul's Diving Services, was in court this week looking for an extension to their case. In October 2017, the company pled guilty to the charges involving the death of their employee who drowned while inspecting a tidal power plant back in 2015. The CBC article linked in the show notes states that, quote, the company admitted to not having an adequate dive plan in place and failing to assess whether the dive was happening in hazardous condition. Following its guilty plea, the company was ordered to pay $34,000 in fines and conduct a series of safety presentations. The company now claims there was a problem with the expert witness, and it looks like the case won't actually be heard after extensions until March of 2022. So craziness, like, uh, I can't believe it's, it's you know, we're, what, seven years later and uh, still haven't got this uh, figured out yet. Yeah, I remember I remember the the news because uh, I was down in Annapolis Royal, I think, down mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, down with the sluice gate there. So that's um, yeah, it's always sad when when we lose a diver, whether it's recreational, or commercial, and it's kind of sad to see this drag on. That must be pretty painful for the family. I would think so. Yeah, I think over overall, my thoughts were the same as Nick when uh, when we looked at this. Was just kind of a lot of times in these situations, I think folks are looking at closure, like well, how how are they able to get that, uh, you know, and having a court case drag on and then brought back through the media and all the rest of it, just sort of, it's sort of like ripping that bandaid off again mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, making things worse. So, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, at the same time, you know, to play devil's advocate, you do have to recognize that if in fact the company really truly feels that, that they did what they were supposed to do. I mean, it makes sense to file an appeal in relation mm-hmm. to that. Uh, but you know, that's, that's really, when a, when a person's in that situation, it's it's tough to say without all the facts. So I don't want to just yeah. go out there and right. hammer the company at the same time, but uh, recognizing that it's it's difficult for the family and that if in fact what they're saying is is true, uh, the only piece I guess that makes me question that slightly is the fact that they themselves had actually pleaded guilty to this in the first place hmm. and then turned around after the fact and is now making that court uh, that court appeal. So. Hmm. Um, Either way, I mean, we won't know until it's all heard, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's mm-hmm. a tragic one. Check back in, in uh, I guess, April of 2022 and let you all know what happened there. And uh, yeah, our thoughts are with the, with the family of the diver, and uh, we'll just see where this case goes. That's it for the news today. Let's dive in with Andrew Reisbull. Andrew, where are you from and where are you based now? Yeah, so I'm from Ontario uh, here in Canada, uh, about an hour and a half northwest of Toronto in a small, tiny town called Orangeville. Uh, And we do most of our diving uh, around the Great Lakes of Lake Erie, Lake Ontario, and of course, Lake Huron, which is our favorite with some beautiful blue water. And what was your first memory of the water? My first memory of the water. Oh boy. So this goes (laughs) back to when I didn't even know what freediving was. So my friend Dylan and I, we went up north to this place called Tobamori just because it has beautiful camping mm. and we packed our snorkeling gear. Uh, so we, we knew that there were some shipwrecks up there that were pretty shallow and you can enjoy snorkeling. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so we snorkel over this classic shipwreck that's up there. It's called the sweepstakes and he dares me to go touch the bottom. So I take <laughs> a big breath and I swim down. I touch the bottom. I come back up and he's just cheering me on and high-fiving me. And he's like, wow, that was so deep. Now, of course, we know and we look back and I'm kind of embarrassed to say that it was 16 feet deep. <laughs> but I went home that evening after the camping trip and uh, typed into Google, how do you hold your breath longer? And that's how I came across freediving. So I totally didn't even know it was a thing. It's not really talked about at all in Ontario. Mm-hmm. It's getting a little bit of traction now, but... Uh, I had no idea until I did it by accident. <laughs> <laughs> That's very cool. So did, did that just sort of grow from that point then? Uh, oh, um, yes. Tell us about that. Yeah, for sure. So after kind of getting into it by mistake, then my friend, that same friend and I, we um, kind of were self-teaching ourselves. We didn't even know that there were freediving courses here in Ontario. Uh, so we kind of did things sketchy without knowing the risks and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. for probably about two years. And then um, I just, I was looking at taking a course out in England or something. And then uh, I just stumbled across that there were actually instructors in Toronto. I had no idea that there were actually instructors in Toronto. And then uh, it turned out that there was going to be a course just a week or maybe two weeks after or like from that date. So I yeah. signed up right away and uh, saved a trip to England. <laughs> <laughs> saved a bunch of money too, I bet. Oh yeah, for sure. And actually that's where I met my best friend uh, and dive partner, Jeff Coombs in my very first free diving course. So a lot happened all from that uh, first course, not just in improving my skills and awareness on, on safety issues and that kind of stuff. But then I also met my now six or seven year long time business partner, dive partner, that kind of stuff. That's, that's pretty awesome. Um, learn, learning to free dive in the great lakes is, I guess it's not, um, probably the, the first location that comes to mind for a lot of people. Um, and you, you've talked a little bit about that. What is it about the great lakes? Um, that that you sort of like that it keeps you going back there yeah i'd say that the challenge of it keeps me coming back they're perpetually cold they're often wavy and rough it's a lot different than just diving in um, a quarry or like a blue hole somewhere or ideal conditions like that um if you count a quarry ideal uh, but no i i love the the variety that we get on the Great Lakes. And of mm. course, uh, the geology is beautiful. Uh, the, there's a lot of shipwrecks. Uh, marine life, there's not a ton. It's, it's like, it's Canada, fresh water. So you get, the biggest thing that you see is of course, like a muskie, but that's really special for us just because right. we realize how rare it is to come across them, that kind of stuff. So um, there's a lot of variety and especially when it comes to ice diving when the ice forms it's just another world completely well we're gonna we've got some we're gonna ask you about some ice diving stuff here in a bit but before that i gotta i gotta ask you about your your business uh, i mean you have a day job i believe and but you also have ontario freedivers can you tell us about the journey from freediver to instructor to, to business owner yeah so i i started off freediving strictly for the recreational side of things. Like when I mm-hmm. took that first freediving course, I was just planning on exploring with my skills with my friend Jeff and then um, competing about against myself. Like I, I was always interested in going deeper and deeper and deeper, but only for, um, I guess, self-competition, just yeah. improving my own personal best. That, But then 
Uh, one of my friends here locally in the club Freedive Toronto named Yaroslava, uh, she encouraged me to just try taking a freediving, uh, try participating in a freediving competition. Mm -hmm. So I signed up for uh, my very first pool competition maybe four years ago, something like that. And then I met all the Quebec divers in Montreal. And they were great people. We had so much fun. And from there, I decided that I, I wanted to just do it just for, um, I guess, social purposes, like right. going out there, hanging out with my new friends that I made. And yeah. um, from there, uh, I I found out that they were going to be running a freedive instructor course. And so that's when my mind suddenly changed from thinking. Like at that point, I had my A to 2. Mm -hmm. I was like not not to try puff myself up, but I was definitely diving like an eight of four at that point, maybe being an instructor at that point, but I was content with my eight of two. Right. Right. But then when I found out that there was an instructor course going to be run in Montreal, then that was, that's when I finally first started thinking, you know what, there's really, there's a couple of free diving instructors here and the sport's still tiny. Like mm -hmm. maybe it would be something that would be good, not just, uh, for myself to get into, but just for the sport in general and meet some right. new divers and, uh, have fun while doing it. So, yeah. uh, yeah, after taking that instructor course, then we started, of course, running courses and people have been loving that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> How's that going for you? Do you find a lot of people are just like, what free diving here in Ontario? Cause uh, we get that response in Nova Scotia when we're on the ocean. Oh yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, I think that social media really is starting to bring awareness that you can really have some amazing diving in the Great Lakes. Mm. Um, and then this past, the past 14 or 15 months of COVID, we've only been allowed to teach for two months of that. So we have a huge waiting list. I, I kid you not, it's at least a hundred. Wow. I have to sit down awesome. and go through everything, but yeah, a huge waiting list now. So people are just eager to get in the water and check it out, um, mm. which is really exciting and encouraging to see. But so the past year was actually a bit of an opportunity for my wife, Lily and I to explore some other um, things like we, that's, that's when we really started making videos together. Yeah. Um, just more, more for fun um, because I had done the professional side of things with my friend, Jeff, a lot, professional photography and mm -hmm. videography for brands and TV projects and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this, this past year, even though it's frustrating not being able to teach courses on the other hand, it was, it was fun exploring the creative side more. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how this, this whole pandemic is, is, I guess, and, and despite the hardships um, presented new perspectives and new angles and, and I guess one of those things that's been mostly on hold, although I think you had a chance to go compete uh, briefly last year is, is competitions. And you, you talked a, bit, a little bit about that and you're currently the Ontario provincial record holder for constant weight bifins, if I'm not mistaken, at, at 63 meters. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I'm sure that that record could get destroyed if someone did some proper training and uh, took it to the Bahamas blue hole or something like that. Um, I would love to test my own um, abilities somewhere warm like that. But for me, I'm just, I have my family here and I do all my diving here. So for me, that competition at Tetford Mines in Quebec is my, my one chance to I guess compete in depth. <laughs> right. so, so I guess you 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 have I guess, at least plans or ambitions for for a couple of more records along that line. 
Oh, certainly locally here in in Quebec. I would love to I would love to properly explore my free diving potential somewhere warm, but mm-hmm. like with a baby now and with my wife Lily and we're just having a lot of fun recreationally diving and and doing these projects. So it's it's definitely not part of my one of my main drives in free diving, certainly not. I enjoy it, but it's not my main focus. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see what the future ho- holds, but mm-hmm. for now, I'm just having fun. <laughs> awesome. This one is very impressive to me because you can ask uh, Justin or Nick. This is like my biggest, biggest struggle when it comes to <laughs> free diving and training. Uh, you can hold your breath for seven minutes and 30 seconds, which is amazing. Blows my mind. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. <laughs> that's not moving, though. So that's kind yes. of cheating. You're just laying there completely still. <laughs> Um, I find that doesn't harder. make it easy because, like, when you're, like for me, when I'm swimming down, it's like I have a goal. I'm busy. I don't know. For me, the static is the hardest. Oh yeah, it's very interesting to see just how different everyone is. Like for Nick, I'm sure maybe when he was starting out, maybe maybe static he loved, and then he hated bifins or something like that. Like everyone, and then myself. When I started, I hated static, but then when I started to train static regularly, then I actually grew to enjoy it. I haven't done any training in static properly for a year now, but um, when I'm in training mode, I really do enjoy it. So it takes some time to work your way up to a point where you can enjoy just laying there, holding your breath and and dealing with the sensations that come with that. But hmm. uh, it, yeah, it, everyone is so different. It's really interesting to see. So what did you do to kind of get to that point and get to that milestone? Uh, to get to the that milestone, I guess it, it takes to get to seven and a half minutes. That takes, I would say, some pretty committed training. Um, anyone like yourself, I'm confident that you have the physical ability to do three minutes. It's just mentally it, it will be difficult to get there. Um, anyone in decent physical shape can certainly hit three minutes within a month of training. Uh, even four minutes. And then from there to hit five minutes, then it's just semi-regular training. You don't have to go too crazy, maybe a couple times a week. Uh, And then once you start to get into six or seven and beyond, like people can hold their breath much longer than me. Like Bronco Petrovic, he can do 12 minutes. So there's always someone out there that can hold their breath longer than you. Uh, You just have to make it um, about competing against yourself and improving against yourself uh and not worry about you know that i can hold my breath for a certain amount of time and that seems so far away Hmm. um that's how that's how i always approached it i just was trying to better myself and then eventually i I hit six minutes and that was a big um milestone for me and then i got pumped up by that and then uh trained regularly 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 and then i hit seven and then from hitting seven a few weeks later after regular training some more than I was like, let's do a max max. And then I hit seven and a half. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's pretty impressive. So now when you translate that to your competitions, do you tend to favor pool or depth or is there a particular discipline that, uh, that you kind of lean towards? Yeah, I, I definitely prefer depth all the time. Um, if I, if I can be in the open water, I'm definitely, loving life and even if it's just diving to 20 meters i'd rather be diving to 20 meters depth exploring something than doing 
a hundred and whatever meters in the pool, um, just back and forth. But that being said, when, when it comes to a competition and I'm training for a specific discipline, then I grow to love it. Like what I said before was static at first, I hated it, but then when I'm in training mode, then I grow to love it. And then especially bifins in the pool, I absolutely love it when I'm in training mode. Um, but then my favorite is always, always going to be in depth. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. I feel like it's one of those things where it, it hooks everybody, whether you're doing free diving, you know, like you said, from that very first time when your friend dared you to go down that whopping 16 feet to uh, <laughs> yeah. now, but it's always the, how deep can I go? Right. Like mm. that's kind of the yeah. thing. So yeah, <laughs> very for cool. sure. Yeah. And there, there's just the element of, um, equalization also that you have mm -hmm. to overcome in free diving, which as Nick would know, it becomes very difficult once you start going deeper than 30 meters. Mm -hmm. And then once you break through and you learn, um, this technique called the melfill, then that opens up now essentially infinite depth, like as deeper than you can swim back up from. Uh, once you get that consistent. So um, equalization also adds a nice, a nice technical element to um, depth three diving that you will never get in the pool. And, uh, and just, just the mental focus that requires um, adding all these elements together from uh, streamlining, equalization, relaxation, uh, finning technique, all of these things. Mm. It's just such a such an art it comes down to um in in the depth disciplines yeah very cool so do, does the uh just and this is a curiosity piece for me because i'm generally one of those guys that tends to have issues with uh equalization but do those sort of cross over if, if you're using those techniques that you're talking about can you use those as a scuba diver if you have issues with equalization um, it, it, it won't hurt, that's for sure. But to be honest, I don't think that it will make a huge difference because in scuba diving, you're breathing compressed air. So uh, no matter what depth you're at, your lungs are going to mm -hmm. have the same volume. Mm -hmm. uh, with free diving, when we're diving below 30 meters, then our lungs compress to a quarter of the size or smaller. And then that's when you have to lock air into your mouth and then keep that air in your mouth and equalize with that air. So to apply that to scuba, it, it really doesn't make any more, any, any sense. Um, mm. and it, I mean, it won't, it won't hurt. <laughs> it might help, uh, help you, um, kind of figure out the intricate muscles and movements inside your, uh, jaw and inside your neck that can maybe help air flow from different places, but mm. it's definitely mm. not going to be the magic pill. I would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you found this Andrew, but, uh, if often, if I have a scuba diver come and take a class, you know, they're, they're generally like sort of Valsalva is usually what they know. And mm -hmm. that becomes, becomes limiting very quickly. But like, I think like what you say, it's, if you, if you were to do, if you were to be a free diver as well as a scuba diver and you were to learn sort of like the awareness of the different parts that are involved in, in equalization and free diving, that's certainly, I don't think that could hurt in, in understanding equalization and when you're a scuba yeah. diver for sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I came to scuba diving after free diving and I never had issues in scuba diving, but that being said, I'm, I'm not much of a scuba diver. I only have my advanced open water. So that's, I mean, you, you guys know it's not that impressive. A lot of people can get that pretty quick and you're only going 30 meters. So it, mm. I've never had any issues scuba diving, mm. but I've only gone 30 mm. meters. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
Um, spearfishing is something you, you practice and teach. And, and for some divers, it's uh, potentially a controversial practice. Um, I was just wondering, what's, what's your ethos when it comes to spearfishing? Yep. Spearfishing. Uh, so there, there's a few different thoughts on this in Ontario. There's like strict laws. You're not allowed to shoot like basically anything except for carp and white sucker. Um, so in Ontario, we're really limited and a lot of people they'll learn here, uh, just the basics and then go, um, either across the border to Quebec or Manitoba or, um, more commonly places like Rhode Island or Bahamas or Florida, those kind of places where there's really a lot of diversity of wildlife. Um, I personally, I don't have any issues with spearfishing if you're going to catch your fish and you're going to eat your fish. Um, and it's within local laws within local seasons and, um, and, and not, not just that, like if there is a local law that's maybe outdated and there's a fish that has recently become endangered in a specific area, then it's mm. not a good idea to be going for those. But, um, I, I certainly am a full supporter of spear fishing, but I also respect those who, uh, choose not to for sure. It's a very, um, polarized topic within free diving, mm. I would say. So my own experiences growing up in the Caribbean, it's usually like somebody coming in, kind of like you say, somebody coming from outside and, and then they're like, oh, there's no rules here. So we'll shoot whatever, whatever we want. Right. And then, so that's mm-hmm. always been, been my lens. So I, I'm always a little wary to talk about a subject, but I, I actually, the way you put it, the way you explained it, I think you packaged that really nicely and, and, mm-hmm. and in a really nice way. So thanks for that. Yeah, for sure. And w- one more thing to add to that. Mm-hmm. It's also important before you go on these trips, like, to the Caribbean. Um, like myself, I'm, I'm kind of guilty of this on my first trip to the Bahamas five years ago. I didn't know the species at all. Um, it happened that I didn't shoot anything illegal, but I had no idea. I was just hunting and, Oh, that looks like a grouper. And thankfully it was, but y- you know what I mean? Like <laughs> me coming from the great lakes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But th- thankfully after that first trip then, or, or during that first trip, that's when I sat down with mm. the the species charts and started to actually learn what I'm chasing. Uh, and then I've been to the Bahamas maybe three times after that or something. And then, uh, now I know much better. <laughs> no, what you're <laughs> but, going after yet. <laughs> yeah. So you've also, uh, tried out some underwater and free diving photography. What draws you to that? Yeah. I, I just love the creativity that comes with, being able to work in a 3d space, like you can, um, you can do a lot in water that you can't on land because you can get all sorts of different weird angles and different weird light, um, Mm -hmm. coming in from the sun and you can flip the photos and people don't know what's going on. Um, there's just a lot of creativity that can be found underwater, especially in clear water or water with nice geology or ice or shipwrecks. So, uh, here on the Great Lakes, especially, there's a lot that we can uh, get creative with for photography and videography. Um, so, yeah, that that's that's really fun for us to explore for sure. There's one photo, or I guess video, you guys made of the under the ice hockey. Oh yeah, I like that one. That was yeah. Cool. That 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 video was a lot of fun. So maybe four years ago or something. My friend Jeff Coombs and I, we did a photo like that. Yeah. And then ever since then, I w- was dying to do a video like that. But we always had other projects or other priorities. And then this past winter, I was diving for fun with my other good friend and main dive buddy, Ryan. 
And I packed the skates and I packed the stick and I packed the puck and we made it happen. <laughs> That's awesome. I like, uh, this winter at our ice diving course, me and Nick had a little project. We did some scuba uh, hockey photos. And then I saw your underwater ones and I was like, well, he just like blew us out of the water. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, was really, like, I was like wearing uh, my dive gear, but then put my skates on and like held the hockey stick with like the tank on my back and stuff. Uh, oh, like, yeah. oh yeah oh yeah this is pretty cool and then it's like underwater and you're skating around and i'm like oh man we gotta like up <laughs> our game <laughs> yeah i had no idea that you guys did that that's really cool it's um, i'm glad to hear that people others in canada are enjoying our two main things that we have in the winter hockey yes. and ice that's right <laughs> combining the two nice i like that so andrew y- your wife lily is also a free diver and a canadian mm-hmm. national record holder um, so how does freediving connect you as a couple and as a family? Well, it's particularly special because we met through freediving also. Okay. Uh, so this is where things get kind of fun going back to being an instructor. Mm-hmm. So uh, in one of my first freediving courses, Lily was actually a student. Yeah. And then uh, shortly after that, she signed up not just for the intro course, but yeah, sorry, to go back on that. So Lily, she signed up for an intro course, which is just like a two-hour type thing or three hours, something like that. Mm-hmm. And she loved it. She couldn't even swim at that point, um, but she loved it. And yeah. um, she signed up right away for the the level two, <laughs> uh, like the A to two. So that's like <laughs> comparable to your scuba open water certification. Right. It's like your four-day, full full-day course where you actually learn everything that you need to know to be able to do it safely with a buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that course, Lily, she did really well. She learned really well. She improved extremely quick and she was a great student. She listened to every single tip and corrected any little thing. And I really love that about her. Mm. Uh, but then it, it's funny at the end of the course, she asked me if I wanted to go on a date with her. <laughs> and at that time, I had my eyes on another girl and I said, no. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't actually until a year later after diving throughout that whole year, though, we we agreed that, you know, we're not going to make that things awkward from that uh, Mm -hmm. because there's so free, so few free divers here um, that we can still be dive buddies. We can still dive together and train together and that kind of stuff with our friends. So uh, throughout the next year, we dove together all the time with mm-hmm. other friends too, um, and trained together and she improved really rapidly. And over that year, of course, that other girl didn't work out. And, um, then our friend Jeff, he, he invited us to his parents vacation place in the Bahamas. So he invited, I think his sister had like five friends or something. And then he invited four friends mm-hmm. and Lily and I were a couple of them. So we went to the Bahamas and after that Bahamas trip, then Lily and I had the conversation, you know what, <laughs> let's, let's go back on that conversation. And then, yeah. then I, at that time, I basically knew that I was, I wanted to marry her. So I told her like, look, if we're going to do this, like we're going to get married. Do you realize that? Right. Yeah. So, so I, we made up for lost time and then we got yeah. engaged maybe four months after starting dating. And then we got married four months after that. So no, no time lost. Yeah. <laughs> wow. 
awesome. Um, yeah, funny. I kind of forget the original question. I guess the original <laughs> question is was yeah, how does that connect us? Well, that yeah. that's the backstory. It does. It so, does. Yeah, <laughs> but but then even throughout like pregnancy, when she was pregnant with our daughter, her and I, we just had so much, so many fun, special moments in the water together. Mm. Uh, she continued diving all the way up until, um, I'll have to double check with her on this, but I, I think all the way up until, uh, the eighth month. Mm. So four weeks till our baby was due. And then she continued swimming in the pool, uh, until just a week or maybe two weeks before, um, our baby was due. So Lily and I, we spent tons and tons of time in the water together through, throughout pregnancy and throughout COVID, that was all the same time. Um, so many special moments. And then even since our baby has been born, uh, we haven't stopped. We haven't slowed down. We Diving has changed a little bit the way that it looks now. We don't get as much yeah. time uh, with just the two of us in the water. Uh, but thankfully, we have great friends and family that know what diving means to us. And they'll come and babysit Sarah for you know, even just a half hour, it makes a big right. difference that yeah. Lily and I can spend it together in the water. So it, diving is really special. And our friends realize that. Mm. And uh, we we love it. Yeah. It's one of these ones where, you know what, usually somebody has a, a baby in a, and certainly in the Nova Scotia perspective, that you can kind of <laughs> pin that on. That's the last time I'll see that person diving again. <laughs> and it, it's usually how it tends to go, right? So uh, no, but it, it sounds in your case, yeah, yeah, people were saying that about us too. But um, if there is a if there's a will, there's a way, I guess. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it really means so much to Lily and I that um, we had conversations with our friends and our family members that we always dive with, and they were totally on board with it too. Mm -hmm. um, so it, there was no issues with us um, working out diving together. It's just now we don't get to spend all day in the water together like we used to and, that, and that's fine like sarah yeah. loves being outside her little baby sarah she loves yeah. being outside uh on the canoe uh watching us dive or out, even out on the ice we, she would mm. come out on the ice with us and just watch and just take it all in she loves being outside so it's we're hopeful that she'll one day join us <laughs> yeah absolutely Going back to the pregnancy, uh, you know, obviously in scuba diving, women don't dive pregnant, but uh, there's mm -hmm. a, it seems like there's many women who are, are free diving pregnant. Was that an easy decision for your family? Yeah, it, it was because the physiology behind it, like this is just me strictly speaking on our situation. Mm -hmm. Like you should always just check with your doctor to make sure, sure that there's, you know, uh, this is not, you know, disclaimer, da, 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 <laughs> yeah. whatever. Um, <laughs> But, but physiology and freediving is interesting because even when you're holding your breath, your heart is still pumping and delivering oxygen around to your, um, to your vitals and mm -hmm. to, your, to your baby. Um, and it actually takes roughly one-third to maybe even half of your dive before your oxygen starts to really dip uh, below 90%. Mm. So you can do fun, short recreational dives without any issues. <clears throat> Um, yeah, once again, disclaimer, disclaimer, but, yeah, yeah, right. uh, <laughs> but yeah, so hold, when, even though you're holding your breath and you're underwater and you're swimming, yeah. there's really no issues. Um, so Lily, she just kept all of her dives to well within her personal best, like mm -hmm. within the pool, she would do 50 meter dives where she can go well, well far into the hundreds, mm -hmm. um, regularly. Or in depth, depth, Lily has 
some issues equalizing. So that wasn't so much of an issue, but we agreed to keep it to 20 meters mm-hmm. um, just so that her, her uh, O2 levels wouldn't be dipping at all. Yeah. And um, static, she just, she doesn't like static anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> no that didn't really matter. But Lily, I mean, you guys can talk to Lily more on this if mm-hmm. you guys want her on one day. Um, sure. But she attributes continuing free diving and keeping active a lot to an easy pregnancy and an easy delivery. Mm. Um, so it, it, and she bounced back really well. Like she's in really good shape again now. So, um, yeah, it's great to see. Uh, that is awesome. It's nice to be able to have two kids. So I've been there a couple of times on the, on my side of things, but you know, pregnancy can bring so much stress to things and it's nice to bring something into that that is so stress relieving. So that's really awesome. So it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's nice. It's nice to hear that. Mm-hmm. So, Tell us a little bit about the uh, that free diving scene in Ontario. Then, what's that looking like these days? Yeah, uh, well, unfortunately, of course, COVID kind of has everyone disjointed and disconnected into their little smaller uh, dive buddy groups, uh, just because that's mm-hmm. that's how it works. You know, you're mm-hmm. supposed to keep within your bubbles and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I've been diving a lot with my main buddies like Jeff and Ryan and of course, Lily, um, and Marisha and Alex, but not a whole lot with some of the, the other people that I would dive with regularly and train with regularly in a quarry locally here. Mm. Um, maybe about an hour outside of Toronto, we would go there every Tuesday night. So that hasn't been able to ha- happen recently. Um, and then Toronto, Toronto would also have, uh, regular pool trainings like, uh, Monday nights. I think it would be the free dive Toronto, uh, pool night and then i think it was thursday nights then enjoy free diving there are a couple of free diving instructors they they taught me my all my free diving and they would run like regimented training on thursday nights so that was really good to have so people could have their recreational fix and they could have their training mm-hmm. fix if they wanted and then unfortunately the competitive scene isn't really a thing here so much um, I, I shouldn't say, unfortunately, it's just because our recreational diving is phenomenal here that a lot of people, they, they want to get into free diving just to explore and they really don't care about, um, competing or training in a pool, that kind of stuff. So it, it's just a bit of a different scene than you might mm. find in Montreal or maybe even in Vancouver. Uh, but yeah, certainly, certainly here, there's a lot of recreational free diving going on. Speaking of that, and we talked a bit about uh, diving the Great Lakes and Tobermory, um, and I know Tobermory is like you know Mecca Canadian you know go to spot for scuba. Um, but mm-hmm. what what can you expect free diving there? Yeah, so uh, as a free diver going to Tobermory, it it's difficult with shore access in a lot of places, especially mm-hmm. as it gets more and more popular. Like it's not just getting more popular for the diving community, but just for the um, the leisure community, uh, for, for, you know, people coming for day trips to hike and to just enjoy the beaches. So unfortunately shore access is becoming more and more difficult, but there's great dive charters there, uh, through divers den. And if you have a canoe or a Zodiac or something that you can launch, then you Mm -hmm. can get to all the dive sites, but you have to really pick your days. You have to be really careful and always pay close attention to the forecast because, if there's a strong wind, then you're not going to be able to dive in maybe the place where you would like to. And right. you have to choose maybe the other side of the peninsula where it's not where the waves aren't hitting. Um, 
so yeah, it can be very unpredictable and you have to really pay attention to the weather in order to pick your spots. And along with that, you guys probably have it on the ocean just because the forecast was good. Um, the day before, it doesn't mean that when you show up, it's going to be good. You have to be even looking at the forecast on our drive up. We'll, we'll be just reading everything mm -hmm. that we can. And we have already in our minds, different dive sites that we can, um, go to, if it's right. bad here, we'll go there. And if it's bad there, then we'll, you know, too busy there. We'll go check out a different spot. So yeah. I was actually in, uh, Tobermory back in September, uh, doing some <clears throat> scuba diving nice. and I was amazed at the visibility. And that day, everybody on the boat who were regular divers there, they're like, oh man, it's such a bad day for this. <laughs> And yeah, I was like, if you're oh, like what? Yeah. <laughs> if you're amazing. going in September, that's the absolute worst that the viz will be. <laughs> really? Yeah, because yeah, because um, it has the whole summer to build up vegetation, and okay. then it's September. It's also starting to get a little bit more wavy, and then it yeah. stirs things up. Also, the day we were out was definitely kind of wavy for us. So yeah. like it's I think we're used to it, but that was what people were saying on the boat was it was a bit more rough than normal. Yeah. So if you want good visibility, you have to be able to withstand the cold temperatures. That That's how you get the best fizz. But mm. uh, August and September, and even into October, well into October, the water still stays, you know, 13 or 14, which is comfortable diving for us Canadians. Mm. Yeah. Um, when but, I was there in September, we had, I think, 17 degrees, which was yeah, like com that, very comfortable. Plenty warm for Tobemory, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, like the most, really the good. highest that I've ever seen the surface was, uh, 21 degrees Celsius. Wow. So, um, yeah. And, and that, and that it'll only stay 21 if it reaches that for a day or hmm. maybe it might stay 19 or 20 on the surface for two weeks, like late August, yeah. maybe first week of September, but you don't get much more than two, two weeks, or maybe if it's a really warm summer, maybe a month of hmm high teens or 20s when i was there we dove the uh, niagara 2 awesome it was really cool to see a shipwreck just like it's so intact and like because it's <laughs> fresh water it doesn't all just you know crumble away it was really cool i don't want to burst your bubble on that oh, but no. that one was <laughs> Maybe I won't say it. <laughs> I, say I, it. I gotta say it. Okay. So that that the Niagara Two shipwreck, um, yeah. they call it a shipwreck, but it was intentionally sunk. Oh, okay. So, I did know this. I did know this. Okay. Oh, okay. You, you did know that. <laughs> oh, okay. Know okay. <laughs> and it, it was only uh, intentionally sunk, like what was it, twenty years ago or so? So it hasn't been down there too long. Hmm. Um, but if you dove on some of the wooden ones that are in good shape. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it's actually the sister ship to the Blue Nose. Oh, okay. Um, I think, was that one more a pile of boards? I've, it was. I, like, you would yeah, hardly know yeah. it was a boat. What is it? I think, uh, no, I don't know. I, I'd guess the Scoville, I forget. I'd have to read up on my history. But some <laughs> of those some of those old wrecks from the eighteen late 1800s or early 1900s, they're wooden and they're in really really good shape and it's just incredible to yeah. see that's awesome i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna go plan my trip to tobamori yeah. and uh, <laughs> we'll take a quick <laughs> break <laughs> and we'll be back with more from andrew risable uh 
Hi everyone, I just wanted to take a second to thank our sponsor, Torpedo Rays Scuba. Torpedo Rays is a local dive shop in Nova Scotia. If you're not in Nova Scotia, that's okay. They've got a wonderful website, torpedorays.com, T-O-R-P-E-D-O-R-A-Y-S.com. All of the scuba gear you could ever need is there. If you can't find it, give Jason a call, 902-481-0444, and he'll be happy to help you out. And these challenging times, it's always great to shop local. Don't go to a huge big box help support your local dive shop buy something you've had your eye on excellent time to make a good deal buy a gift certificate to use later whatever the case may be torpedo rays and torpedorays.com will be there for you once again their number is 902-481-0444 or torpedorays.com it's russell clark editor of diver magazine and you're listening to dive in the podcast Welcome back to Dive in the Podcast. We're speaking with Andrew Reisbull, a Canadian competitive freediver, instructor and ice freediver based in Ontario, Canada. So, Andrew, you've you've been a cold water diver for some, some time now, and that's an area we wanted to chat uh, a bit more uh, with you about. Uh, how do you see your relationship with, with cold water? Yeah, I, I love it. Um, it's just pretty much all I know. So it's what I have. It's what I deal with. And mm. uh, gear helps a lot proper gear and regular cold exposure of course the more that you do it the more uh, used to it you get and the more enjoyable your dives will be so um yeah it's it's i I can't really say that there's too many negatives for me about being in the cold water anymore i really Mm -hmm. honestly i can say that it will be uncomfortable maybe when you first hop in and you get your wetsuit all filled with water but then we can last for an hour at least uh, even on the coldest days or two hours or even all day when it's spring and the, the sun is shining on us and mm. it's not so windy. Um, so yeah, it, it just makes for some really unique diving and unique experiences and really close friendships with, with the, the few people that are willing to do it with me. For sure. It must, must be a nice experience to share. Um, yeah. just a, a quick follow-up when you, when you say you can spend an hour in the water when it's, when it's super cold, what, uh, what exposure protection in terms of suit thickness and type of suit are you using? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so an hour is, uh, uh, definitely with proper, like really good high end free diving equipment. So it's a seven millimeter wetsuit with seven millimeter lobster claw gloves with, um, they're semi dry. Um, I don't know if you guys know from scuba, they're the brand waterproof. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they work really, really well. And then five millimeter socks, uh, that are open cell. And that seems to keep me really quite warm. Um, yeah, like I said, even on the coldest day, a minimum of one hour in the water. Um, but more regularly, I would say two hours with that. I also dive with a five mil, which isn't near as good quality. Um, and it doesn't even have the, the long johns on or anything like that. But sometimes I'll dive with that if we di- need a different um, videography or photography look because it's a different pattern. Right. Um, and then that's still plenty warm that will, you know, it might be more uncomfortable, but I'll still easily be able to do the hour. Yeah. It's, it's about the same here. Like on a, you know, yeah. minus 22 days, zero degree water, a, a seven mil suit with the right extremity protection. will will probably get a good hour in there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And you did a 10 days of no wetsuit free diving challenge. Uh, what oh, were you yes, trying to achieve with that? Honestly, it was just a one day thing. 
um, <laughs> just with my friend Ryan and I. And then uh, the opportunity came up to do, do it a second day. And I was feeling really good from it. Um, and then after the second day, I, I felt really good. And then I was like, you know what? I want to do this for a third day. And then after <laughs> the third day, then I was committed to doing it for a week. And after a week, then I said, let's do let's do it 10 days because I was finding some really interesting things uh, going on. Mm. And yeah, at, at the end of the 10 days, then I was, you know, there's other things in life that you have to keep on top yeah. of. <laughs> I have a full time job and all that yeah. and uh, a baby and this kind of stuff. And we just moved. So uh, I just couldn't keep the streak going any longer. But I felt 10 was 10 days was significant enough to find some interesting data that I could, um, that I could kind of conclusively say that there were some positive benefits from doing it. Hmm. What Hmm. do you feel like the positive benefits were? Oh, what a surprise (laughs) question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I, I figured I'd just leave that bait there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So honestly, like the very first day that I was doing it, the only thing that got me out was because my friend Ryan wanted to do it and um, I had a headache and I was kind of busy and this kind of stuff and I was feeling groggy. But then after uh, jumping in a couple times, like we were maybe only in the water for two minutes, like one minute, then we hopped out and then hopped back in for maybe another minute, that kind of thing. And uh, within af- after you start warming up, again then immediately like I felt so alert and so Mm. like I didn't notice my headache and then I kind of thought that oh well it's just because I'm like in shock or whatever (laughs) um but then then uh that that day when I went home then it's I still felt great and um yeah then then after doing it for multiple days then I started knowing some noticing some even more interesting things like I after after my five minute session or whatever it is like not too long it doesn't take two minutes or one minute or five minutes even whatever mm-hmm. it is I felt so productive like I would get eight hours of work done in two hours and I'm not even exaggerating like I would just sit and work <laughs> um my, my mind was just so alert and I was so focused and ready to just like pump out a whole bunch of work um and that was really like impressive and, and surprising to me. Um, but another thing that, uh, was really, really nice to experience was I have a really bad knee from a soccer injury about 10 years ago. Um, and that constantly, like it's, it's, it's not like I'm in pain, but it's constantly agitating me and it's a bother for sure. But then after doing it, uh, I would, I forget now exactly. I have the data recorded, but I think it was like after day three or something that I noticed that my knee was feeling really quite good. And it, it continued throughout until the end of it. And then even after the 10 days and that persisted for another, I don't know, maybe week or so of my knee feeling really quite good. Um, and I guess one other thing, well, I guess I, I, I kind of mentioned it like at, at the beginning when I hopped in and I had a headache and I was feeling starting to feel sick, um, then yeah, I I was like, Oh, well, like, is this really a good idea? I had done it before many times before, but it was just like one day things or two day things. So then 
uh, when I when I was going to go for the streak, then I was like, oh, is it a good idea? Because I started off like exhausted and kind of sick. But then uh, after the third day or second or third day, then like I felt completely healthy and I didn't get sick at all, like throughout the rest of the streak. So, um, yeah, contrary to what many of my friends would think and just like non-diver friends or people that don't really haven't looked into it, they, they would think that hopping in the cold water will, you know, destroy your immune system and just make you bedridden for a month. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, it's not true. Like your body, um, can handle these small doses, no problem. And I think that this is just me saying it, but other people have also said it, but I do think that it uh, helps boost your immune system. Yeah. I didn't mean to put you on the spot there, but, uh, I love that answer. I've recently got into cold water swimming, so that's why I wanted to nice. hear what your your uh, takeaways yeah, were. Yeah, good. It. And and um, sorry, just to add another thing. I know it was a long answer, but also like after that ten days, then I was still regularly ice diving uh, with with a wetsuit. I I don't know how many other days I did with no wetsuit that winter because we had a, a bunch of projects that we had to complete, but. That being said, like even even when we're out there on these blistering cold minus 20 days with wind and the water is zero degrees, of course, on the surface, um, even even then, like I just I, I never get sick in the winters. I can mm. I can say that um, when I'm ice diving, I'm never getting sick. And that that's true for the past six years or however long I've been doing this now under ice. You sort of described sort of the you know the the relationship you have and and the benefits you get from from cold water freediving. Can you maybe walk us through uh, a little bit about you know what what does it look like? What is the ice like, and what's the process like? Is it, you know for most ice divers we think of like a solid you know lake surface, um, but when you mm-hmm. look at the photos and the videos, it, it seems to be a lot of boulders, a lot of cracks. Like what's it like when you mm-hmm. go out there? Yeah, for sure. It depends on where you're diving. Like if we want that smooth ice, we can find it too, where it's two in, two two feet thick and it's just smooth everywhere. But with the Great Lakes, uh, it's it's rare for them to freeze completely. Um, in fact, they never fully c- freeze completely across. Like I think the most that it's ever froze in the past 40 years when I looked at the data was 94% of the Great Lakes um, surface area was covered. Um, but on a normal year, it's more like 40% or 50%. So there's still open water. And especially in deep spots like Tobamori, uh, where the waves will keep on cracking up that ice that's uh, forming close to shore. And then waves will come, yeah, pu- push pushing it and stacking it on top of each other. Uh, and it creates just jagged looking ice with sometimes icebergs and boulders and all sorts of crazy ice formations uh, that are very unique um, for ice diving. Like if you, if you look elsewhere for ice diving material on the internet, you'll often find that smooth ice, like what you guys were discussing, but in where we dive, it's really quite special just because of these patterns that we um, get to enjoy. It, it's pretty breathtaking. Like you could fool someone to thinking that you're in the Arctic somewhere or something. It's uh, it's, it looks that epic. Yeah, for sure. And that's the closest that we've seen to uh, our images is some stuff from Greenland that um, I forget, Anna von Bothscher, some German German lady. I mm. don't know how to say her name, but mm. she did a trip to Greenland. And then 
Uh, she gets some very similar views, even more epic in my opinion, mm. uh, what she was seeing. But that takes a huge commitment to get out there. Whereas sure. yeah. for us, it's like a couple hour drive and then we're there. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome. But that brings me to to want to know what motivates you to continue keeping on making all that content for social media and, and posting those videos. Yeah, um, I think that it's just a byproduct of just wanting to explore the beauty for myself, to be honest, because mm-hmm. we did this for years and years, um, Lily and I anyways, without even ever taking our camera. The only time that we would use the camera was when our buddy Jeff was diving with us. Right. Uh, and then it's only been the last year or so that Lily and I have been playing with the camera ourselves because of the COVID shutdowns. Um, so yeah, like whether or not, whether or not I have a camera and I'm making videos, I'm still going to be diving and just, just for myself to enjoy the unique beauty um, and that's what motivates me to come back every mm. single time. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And I hope you do um, keep on coming back and make more because it's great. But <laughs> so how have your ice, ice free diving videos been received? Yeah, it depends on what community they hit uh, yeah. within to, to be hundred percent honest uh, within the scuba community. A lot of people will talk down on us for being reckless and, because the scuba community, they have their own ice diving course. And I understand that. And I, I, I respect that mm-hmm. um, because there are specific protocols that you really need to follow in scuba diving, which are extremely important. Otherwise, you're going to get lost under there. Yeah. Um, but then some things to consider when we're free diving uh, in, in our particular location are the visibility that we enjoy. We can't possibly swim far enough to lose sight of our hole. <laughs> So using lines aren't, aren't, um, necessary when I'm diving with my specific buddies, mm. I should definitely say that like, there's only certain people that I would ever trust doing what we do. Um, and yeah, it, it, we're, we're only under there on one breath. So we, we understand that, you know, like we have to dive conservatively. We're not going to be doing some stupid reckless stuff. Um, and we use, we use, uh, geology to orient ourselves. We use um, the sh- if we're diving on a shipwreck to help orient ourselves, but we're not relying on that. We're always within sight of the hole mm. um, or within sight of a line that we drop down and we're just hiding from the okay. photographs or the videos. Like there's a lot going on behind the, the video and the camera that um, are being taken in con- consideration. But mm. for the most part, just the, the visibility and the dive buddies that I'm diving with allow us to do stuff that might look extremely sketchy to right. someone who's <laughs> not there with us. Um, but then, but then, yeah, sorry. So then to go back to the original question, how have these videos been received then to the average viewer, people are just blown away by the unique views that they've never seen before. They mm. never thought that it's possible for anyone to swim under the ice and, they, they wonder how, how is this possible? How is he not coming up for air? Uh, mm. What if his hole freezes over? But once again, we're only under there for <laughs> right. a matter of a minute or two minutes. So, right. Right. Um, yeah, they've been really well received in general, but mm. then s- some people do rip us apart. Even that <laughs> there was a local freediver who ripped me apart and he did it in a unprofessional way, but then 
Uh, thankfully, we had a private conversation to um, kind of further that. But mm. I, I welcome people. I 100% welcome people challenging the safety of our dives. I, I think that's very healthy for the sport. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, there's a lot going on that people without our level of, of experience diving in these conditions won't understand. And it's very difficult to communicate that information to them. Right. Um, I, I had a follow up on that because actually that was going to be one of my questions and, and you kind of answered it before, before I got to it, which is awesome because it's obviously a conversation that needs to be had because this is, this is something you're just, you're sort of developing yourself and, and, Ultimately, mm-hmm. when when you just develop something new, you're always going to have your critics, and and obviously, if if this is a podcast with a broad audience, so we'll have tech divers, cave divers, and and you know that mm-hmm. audience with with a, that are going into overhead spaces with a reel are going to go like, what the hell are you doing? And I, I completely get that. For and sure. as a free diver, I totally get it too. So my question is, um, if if somebody out there is looking at your videos or is a free diver and is thinking of doing the same thing, like, what's one piece of advice you would have for them? I would say reach out to someone who is currently ice diving first and pick their brains. Uh, you, it's not a good idea just to be jumping into um, jumping into this completely blind. I personally did with my friend Jeff. Um, thankfully, we were diving in a very, um, very easy area, like with a shipwreck. So it was really easy to orient ourselves. And then mm. from there, we kind of worked our way up and up and up. Um, but yeah... It, the the biggest consideration certainly for freediving would be visibility. Visibility means so much uh, mm. from a safety perspective. Uh, and then I would say that it's even a, I would recommend, like if I'm making a general recommendation to someone that I don't really know at all, I would definitely say do it with a lanyard and a line for mm. sure. Um, I would only ever do what I'm doing with specific people. Um, that I can trust with my life. And I know I've been diving with them for such a long time, especially under ice. I know that they know how to behave and I know how to act mm. under the ice. Um, and, and, and that being said, like, we're not shy also to tell each other, no, you know what? You're not doing that. I don't want you. I don't want you to do mm. that. That's I don't good. want, you know, so we're not just recklessly trying to do this stuff just to get a, photo definitely not like i have a baby i have a (laughs) wife uh so does my my friend uh jeff he has a wife too and hopes to have a family one day so Mm. um yeah sorry i i I might have lost the original question but no no i i think that's i think that's uh you know ultimately you're you know, that, that footage that you have out there is, is gained attention and, and other people, as freediving becomes more popular, more people are going to do it. So I think that's a, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm happy we got to kind of talk about that because my next question was going to be, you know, Canada is like massive. It's known for its vast lakes, long coastlines, cold water, long mm-hmm. winter. So there's, there must be a lot of potential for ice freediving. How, how do you see ice freediving evolving in Canada? Yes, yeah, certainly. I can speak to Ontario, certainly. Um, the Great Lakes have massive potential just because of their visibility and their um, their waves that creates this crazy ice. Mm. Um, that being said, when we dive in smaller lakes, and we, we do this regularly too, we dive um, not, not on the Great Lakes, like the Muskoka Lakes, if you guys know what those are, they're smaller cottage lakes. The visibility is awful there, mm-hmm. um, but we just do it just to enjoy something unique uh, and something different. Um, 
most lakes in Canada are like that with yeah. bad visibility. And I can't see that developing into something that people would do all the time. Maybe, maybe a few times a winter, uh, just to enjoy the cold exposure and maybe the unique views and that kind of stuff. But I would find it hard personally to always be ice diving if I was diving in a dark lake, um, freezing my butt <laughs> off with not much to see. Um, and then the ocean, unfortunately, it doesn't really freeze. I'm sure you guys, you guys can speak to that, like out, out in Vancouver where there's a lot of divers and then out in Halifax, it's just too warm. It holds its heat too long and it doesn't get its ice. Um, but then quarries, local, local quarries with good visibility, that definitely has a lot of potential in Quebec. They're really making good use of that. Uh, we, mm. We've been seeing them do a lot with that um, the last few winters, and that's that's cool to see. Um, Ontario, there's a couple quarries too that has access, but there, there's a lot of access issues here in Ontario for freediving in quarries, just because no one knows what freediving is. And if there's a, if there's an owner, <laughs> they're, they're just going to be completely sketched out yeah. by that. There's, um, some abandoned mines up north, but that's really far to drive. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely see a lot of potential in Montreal where there's a lot of divers and there's some good quarries. I see a lot of potential here in Ontario and I see a lot of um, potential in Alberta too, if there were some more divers. I did dive for a video project out there maybe two, yeah, two winters ago. Mm. And the visibility was decent, but it was sketchy. Uh, it was 10 meter vis, but it was, um, glacial water. So it was really, it was milky and it, you didn't get contrast. So like no matter which way you looked, it, it, it almost looked like you were, um, suspended in space and whichever way you looked, it, it all looked the same. So, mm. uh, that's extremely dangerous, um, for obvious reasons. Um, but the visibility was good. So if you're doing things like diving with a line or um, maybe sticking like with your, with the hole right there kind of thing and doing some trick photography, then there's potential for that. Um, but I definitely do see a lot of Canadians going to be getting into the cold exposure side of things, like not necessarily diving, like free diving, diving, like for depth or for photos or stuff like that. But like April, like you said that you were getting into um, just trying out cold exposure. That's certainly becoming really popular. Um, and I can see that growing like crazy. Hmm. Hmm. So on the, uh, the bit of the cold there, like you, you lead a lot of ice expeditions with your friend and photographer, Jeff Coombs. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say that we lead a lot. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, COVID delayed this year's round. We had a couple uh, full week long trips planned, uh, but then COVID delayed because a lot of these people are coming from the States uh, and then some from out of province. Like actually, yeah, I'd say almost all of them were from the States and then there were a few from uh, here in Canada out of province. So we just couldn't run them this year. Mm -hmm. um, it's a relatively new thing. Like we've done maybe two, three, I think three or four only uh, ice expeditions, but we, we'd love to be running more. So mm, right. uh, we'll see what this coming winter brings with 
COVID protocols and such. But uh, we had to rebook the group, the two, the two weeks that we were supposed to be doing from last winter to this coming up winter. So unfortunately we're pretty much fully booked also. So mm-hmm. yeah, we'll, we'll see what becomes of that. But it, it, as soon as we posted those expeditions online, they sold out right away. Uh, I think we had four spaces and within 24 hours, the first one sold out and then we opened up another week and then within 24 hours right away, it sold out also. So there's definitely a demand. Um, and that's cool to see. Yeah. Well, let's, let's hope that, uh, we get an opportunity to see them kind of grow as, uh, as things change over this and some more people get vaccinated, hopefully put an end to this COVID thing and we can all start this dive in world tour. We've been talking about for <laughs> some 64 episodes. Um, <laughs> But uh, I just wanted to ask quickly, uh, you have a YouTube channel and it has a, uh, a couple of videos of you and Lily experiencing blackouts and sambas. Uh, mm-hmm. What are you hoping to achieve by putting those videos on? Yeah, for sure. Good question. Uh, those videos have existed for four years in my case, or maybe five years and mm-hmm. three years in Lily's case on a hard drive. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, actually I, I would use them in my private courses to like my free diving courses. I would show people those videos, but, um, on the one hand, it's kind of embarrassing and you look like a fool, but then on the other hand, there's all these people watching our other videos and the very least that we can do is share the biggest risk in this sport, um, and hope that people can, can see the risk of, um, holding your breath underwater and then, um, change their habits. And from sharing those videos, it's crazy, insane. How many people have commented, um, that they didn't know that this could possibly happen. And they were doing 50 meters by themselves or 75 meters by themselves in the pool and stuff like that. And then Mm. that's like a recipe for someone blacking out and drowning for Mm. sure. So, um, like we posted that video on, on each of our social media platforms like Instagram. I don't remember how many views it got, but I think over a hundred thousand or something. And in, in those comments, we got a bunch YouTube. It got, I don't know how many views, not, not crazy, maybe like 30,000 or something like that. And then lots of comments like that also. And then on TikTok, um, we, we, Lily and I post our videos on TikTok also where there's a, a lot of a younger audience and Lily's video got, 14 million views uh-huh. mine got something like 12 million views and then we also did follow-up videos explaining it in more detail which got millions and millions of views and the comments there were just crazy of these younger younger audience like i would say on average maybe 14 years old to maybe 22 years old something like that just how many people are saying oh my mm-hmm. goodness i do this all the time by myself Mm. Um, thank you for sharing. Um, so we're really happy that we just kind of swallowed our pride and kind of put our embarrassing blackouts online for people to, um, to see. And we were actually kind of expecting more people to rip us apart. And we do see a lot of comments like that too, but they don't phase, phase us anymore. Um, mm. certainly I not. Think- like we, we've seen thousands. So. <laughs> yeah, sorry, go ahead, Nick. No, no, I think it goes back to the you know, when you were describing your your freediving career, and that's a that's a 
topic that's common for myself and other freedivers. You you teach yourself at first, right? Because you don't know what it is yep. and you don't know what it what a and you don't even know if there's a that a course is a thing and you can even where to find one. So I think exactly. I, I yeah, I saw a lot of value in and yeah, that it's controversial, right? And then not to open a can of worms because we probably don't have the time, but in competitions we we move the video camera away from somebody who has a blackout and partly out of respect, but partly because mm-hmm. we also don't want to show that side of the sport. So I, mm-hmm. I, I want to give you props for, for putting that out there and at, at least raising the awareness because obviously to, to some risk of criticism too. So yeah, thanks for, for doing sure. That. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree a hundred percent because yeah, as I mentioned before and Nick just brought up, I didn't know these kind of risks. I maybe and maybe you read about it and then you just think, oh, well, whatever, that's not going to happen to me. I, I know my limits. I've, yeah, whatever. I'm right. fine diving my, by myself to 40 feet and hanging out and looking at the fish. No problem when you don't know a single thing. So, yeah, I, I wish I would have seen a video like that when I started. On another kind of safety thought here, um, and you know, people enter the sport and free diving and breath hold and you know whatever they call it before maybe even their actual free divers from a lot of different ways uh, or a lot of different angles i guess um you say the wim hof method is unnecessary and even dangerous for free diving for those that may mm-hmm. not understand the finer details between the two can you can you explain that yeah for sure um yeah that that's another common question that we get on our, on our videos for sure, especially on TikTok, where, um, there's a younger audience that doesn't, you know, they just haven't looked into these things themselves. They saw mm-hmm. one video on yeah. Wim Hof doing this special breathing method and then, you know, swimming under ice 50 meters or that kind of thing. But right. this isn't just coming from me. This is coming from Wim Hof himself. He says it himself and he says it, it it's, I'm pretty sure it's still on his website. It was at one time. Certainly, he he's posted it post, posted it um, publicly on his platforms hmm. that it's not to be mixed with free diving because uh, it's um, Nick will understand this, and I don't know how much free diving you guys understand physi- physiologically, but um, the Wim Hof method is essentially just aggressive hyperventilation, mm-hmm. and when you hyperventilate aggressively in free diving, you're at a significant, much more significant risk of blacking out um, because it basically just delays your regular warning signs that you would get um, and makes you feel amazing. And you think like, oh, wow, like this is the dive. I can go forever. And then um, suddenly it's, it's too late and you black out. Um, So that's, that's certainly why, um, I say that Wim Hof is not necessary for free diving and it's even dangerous. And that's why Wim Hof even says it himself. Hmm. Um, so yeah. And, and then uh, another thing with Wim Hof on the cold exposure side of things, I, I also don't follow Wim Hof. I did this before even I really knew Wim Hof. I might've seen like a video or two, but I didn't know that he was like right. really this crazy public figure. Um, I kind of came across the same results as he was coming across um which is interesting and i'm not saying i'm a scientist or anything but it's just it's interesting that you know i can definitely see the cold exposure stuff um but i i don't use the wim hof method and i still Mm -hmm. come to the positive benefits um and then the i guess there's also um the wim hof method is used to uh i guess relieve anxiety and and you know stress and that kind of stuff Mm. Um, and I can see definitely how 
Um, that is true just from a freediving perspective. And Nick would understand this when you're doing your static breath hold training on, on your couch. Um, even if you don't like static, the first minute anyways is going to be just complete silence and complete um yeah no one's bothering you your phone's not bothering you um you don't have any commitments except laying there in silence Mm. um so i can certainly see how um Mm. that can help relieve anxieties and when you add hyperventilation into it using the wim hof method and you get a little bit lightheaded on top of it then of course it's going to help feel good so (laughs) And then you do it regularly, you make it part of a a routine, then for sure, like I can definitely see how that's Mm. going to help people relieve anxiety. And I'm not, I'm definitely not trying to say, don't, don't get involved with, you know, Wim Hof stuff. I I don't know enough about him to to Mm. be honest, but yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not trying to bash him in any ways, but I'm just saying that uh, from a freediving perspective, it's dangerous to be mm. incorporating that in, in the water, especially without knowing what you're doing and just seeing a video online. Yeah, most definitely. It's definitely important. And I appreciate you saying, you clarifying that, you know, is, you know, like I said, we get people that just see a and B and they look similar cause they don't know what the difference is. And then, yeah, mm-hmm, for sure. I appreciate that. Uh, Andrew, where can people find you online? Oh boy. Uh, I think you'd rather find Lily online. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So recently we've been trying to streamline our uh, social media stuff and it's not to kick Lily out of it, but especially on TikTok, like we have a ton of followers there. So then Hmm. people are trying to find us from there elsewhere. So we tried to streamline everything. Um, Our YouTube used to be called Ontario Freedivers. Now we just call it Andrewper freediving so a-n-d-r-o-o-p-r um freediving uh and that's just to match our instagram uh which my instagram handle is andrewper a-n-d-r-o-o-p-r and my tiktok is the same so it's just a kind of one one username you can find me anywhere on facebook also we've been trying to do that but it's kind of hard to switch over on facebook for bureaucratic reasons or whatever (laughs) right (laughs) well we'll we'll link that we'll link that there in the show notes so and then we'll obviously tag you when we will post the episode but um what keeps you diving andrew yeah i i love the mental aspect of free diving and the physical aspect it's a very um kind of full body sport, so to speak, and mind also. Um, and it's low impact. So for me, like I mentioned before with my knee injury, freediving is a sport that I can do and like, you know, be in the water all day and it feels great on my knee. It It's not like other sports like soccer, which I obtained this injury from or snowboarding uh, where, you know, I can still do it a little bit, but not at the same level as I used to. And then it just ends up hurting pretty bad. So uh, freediving is definitely going to be a sport that I'm going to be participating in for as long as I can keep on moving. Um, and the, the unique beauty that we get to enjoy, um, not just here in the Great Lakes, but, you know, when we go to the Bahamas or Hawaii or Mexico or wherever, anywhere in the world where people are diving, there's going to be something fun to find and fun to see. If not for what you're seeing, then for at least what you're, um, accomplishing, from 
a physical side of side of the sport or um, just hanging out with your friends. So yeah, I love, I love all aspects of free diving. That's awesome. And, uh, and I really appreciate you, you sharing all that with us and it's come to the time where we're getting to the end of the episode. So I, cool. I, I do really appreciate <laughs> it. And I, I just want to say thank you for coming on tonight and thank you for sharing, um, so much about, uh, you know, such a, such a, I don't know, everybody knows what freediving is, but you know, your, your niche of freediving is, uh, is a certainly a unique one. So appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank, thanks a lot for inviting me on. That was a lot of fun. And up next on tonight's episode, and we're going over to my gearing up segment on snorkels. Let's check it out. All right, we've got a bit to talk about tonight and not a lot of time, so I'm going to kind of just fly through some of this. If you have any questions, let me know, um, because this is a relatively simple sounding segment, but it actually, there's a lot to it. So snorkels, um, and I guess there's a lot to it because you have both free diving snorkels and scuba diving snorkels, and they are not the same thing. So we'll start with free diving, seeing how we had a free diving guest on today. Free diving gets the nod. Uh, Free diving snorkels, it's plain and simple. You want a J-type snorkel with no purge valve, no dry top, no nothing, nothing fancy. All you want is a simple J snorkel. You don't necessarily want your grandpa's old J snorkel, uh, but you do want a nice quality free diving J snorkel that has a large bore tube. And one of the best features, in my opinion, and there's a few out there, is a snorkel that floats omer has some and i believe there's a few other companies out there that do as well um because a lot of free divers don't actually take their snorkel down with them while free diving and if you're free diving and you've taken your snorkel down with you um or you're keeping your mouth in your snorkel then go take a class and learn why you're not supposed to be doing that <laughs> um so it's real simple for free divers j snorkel no features no uh no tricks no nothing um you just want a nice snorkel. They come in either kind of hard plastic or like a semi-rigid rubbery plastic. And uh, they just work perfectly. Now, for scuba divers, there is a lot out there. You've got your J-type snorkels like the snorkel or like the free divers where you've got the snorkels with purges. So that's pretty common. Pretty much every snorkel that you're going to find these days for scuba diving has a purge down in the bottom of the J. Um, so right at that lowest point, kind of under your chin, I guess. Uh, but the tops are where your main differences come in. You've got tops of the snorkel that have nothing on them. You've got tops that have a splash guard. You've got tops that have a dry valve. Um, these are all, you know, features geared or features pointed at different people. Uh, the dry tops are something that allow people to kind of like swim around and get their head underwater purposely or accidentally and when they pop up the the snorkel hasn't flooded on them that's cool if you keep your snorkel in your mouth um and it's cool if you're spending a lot of time snorkeling most scuba divers are going to skip the dry tops just because it's it's just a extra 20 bucks they don't have to spend uh, on something they're not going to use that much if you find yourself swimming a lot on the surface or doing a lot of snorkeling it might be something that you would like to have um, or I sell them a lot to people who have are not as comfortable in the water and gives them that kind of little gives them that little extra warm and fuzzy feeling um, so that that's nice if you want that the splash guard I think splash guard's a good thing to have because that just kind of makes your life a little nicer 
Um, although a totally simple J snorkel will work for scuba diver, especially somebody who just uses their snorkel as a backup and doesn't often find themselves doing long surface swims. I'm going to take a stand in the battle here. I do think every scuba diver should have a snorkel on them at all times. Uh, I don't think you necessarily need to have it on your mask, especially if you're doing side mount or doubles or anything like that, where you've got a long hose, a snorkel just gets in the way. In that case, you need to have a snorkel rolled up in your pocket and ready to deploy. Um, it's just, it's hard and simple. You get in bad conditions and you have to do a surface swim of any distance. You're going to want a snorkel. Um, it's so simple and so little and that's all I'll go into it, but it's just a, it's an easy thing. If you're an instructor with any organization, uh, licensed to teach people how to learn how to dive, you're required to use one whenever you're teaching. So just get over it. <laughs> it's not that bad. Anyway, um, I will say a couple things. There are some snorkels out there with interchangeable mouthpieces. It would seem like they would fit your normal scuba regulator mouthpiece, but they don't always do that. So if you get a new mouthpiece for your snorkel, just make sure it actually fits. Bring your snorkel in and try it on. Uh, sometimes you might need to put a zip tie on, even though there wasn't a zip tie on when you bought it originally. Uh, there's another thing that is the bane of snorkel owner existence, and that is how do you keep your snorkel on your mask? There are some quick release options that are pretty handy, although, you know, like anything, they do fail. There's some uh, semi-quick release. The cheap snorkels tend to come with these keepers that are kind of J-shaped or maybe S-shaped, and they're okay, but they don't, there's really nothing really keeping that snorkel or that mask strap in that snorkel keeper. Um, so if you're going to wear a snorkel on your mask full-time, Get yourself a $2 silicone snorkel keeper. Looks like a stretched out figure eight, I guess. Uh, slip it on there. It'll never come off. Well, maybe in five or 10 years, the snorkel keeper will wear out and it will break. Uh, but you will have not lost your snorkel in that five or 10 years. So to definitely use uh, simple is, is just the best. Maybe I've got a trend here. Maybe I keep talking about simple is the best. So I like simple snorkels. I use a snorkel. Uh, go snorkels next time on gearing up we're going to finish our talk on mass snorkel and fins with the last one up we'll see you next time all right hard-hitting piece on snorkels you heard it here first on dive in the podcast speaking of hard-hitting uh mitt you've got a segment on uh what shoulder d-rings on your side mount segment this week yeah it's uh you know what it's one of these ones i figure uh, I was out diving today and ran into one of those uh, scenarios where I was just pissed off at the, you know, wild <laughs> diving. And I thought, what what more motivation do I need than to uh, have a quick chat about shoulder? <laughs> and, and in particular, I guess what I'm getting at is like the, the access to shoulder D-rings in two scenarios. In one mm. scenario, it's just general access. Uh, if, if you happen to be swimming along and you don't have anything clipped off to that D-ring where the D-ring flips up, Right. And then so you go looking for it where you expect it to be and you've indexed for it and it's just not there. And then the other scenario would be like, you know, in the in the event that you're slinging pony bottles or what have you or, uh, you know, mm -hmm. deco bottles and stuff like that. Um, long and short of it is that you really need to look at what you're doing and be really keenly aware of what your kit is and how it's set up. And mm -hmm. so how I've gone about this, uh, you know, solving this problem, there's twofold. Uh, number one is trying to uh, bring fixed D-rings in, uh, into play because they're 
I've gotten a really great set from Andrew Goring in Sump UK, which uh, we've put some links in the show notes about. And they sort of address the issue of never having to worry about where that D-ring is. You always know where it is. It's fixed. It's there. It doesn't flip-flop. It doesn't do anything like that. Keeping in mind that, you know, that could pose problematic for people who are generally doing significant amounts of restrictions. So they may not prefer those in that situation because they are fixed uh, D-ring. However, one really novel uh, approach to ensuring that that uh, that D-ring itself, the traditional D-ring, stays in that downward position, uh, was done with a little piece of bungee uh, and demonstrated very well by Gary Dallas in a in a video that uh, he'd put together, where he basically creates a Snoopy loop with some bungee that kind of keeps the D-ring where you where you would expect to find it. So, uh, just something to think about. Uh, it occurred to me today while I was putting a, a pony bottle on and reached up to where I normally would uh, would look to find it, and lo and behold, I was like, "Oh, yeah, the earrings flipped up and pointing upwards, and that's why I can't find it." So it can, <laughs> you know, it, it can create a little bit of stress for a person if you're not aware that that's the thing that happens, and you keep looking and keep looking. But uh, yeah, just really quickly, one of those ones that if if you don't pay attention to, I think uh, will cause you grief that you don't really otherwise want. What do you guys think about that? I mean, I couldn't agree more. D-rings are so annoying when you, they when they aren't there when you want them to be there. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, just the flipped up or, you know, you, you know, you you clip something 100 times and then on the 101st time, the, there's no clip point. And, right. uh, and nothing's worse than that. Uh, I was looking at the the Sump UK stuff. Uh, did you get those wild segmented D rings? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. That's, I've been running those now for a couple of years. The three, they're like a three mm-hmm. slotted uh, D ring, and man, yeah. it's it's a thing of beauty. Really, I quite like it. Um, those are cool. And yeah, and you know, like the bungee version as well. Like you know, if you didn't want to go to having something like that, mm-hmm. the solution that Gary kind of presents in the in his bungeed video on youtube uh and for those of us we've been uh, you know we've interviewed gary before on a previous show uh mm. so fantastic instructor that really knows his stuff when it comes to side mount and you know it's really it's a very simple solution that costs you probably 20 to 30 cents uh versus you know when you start getting into custom hardware to put onto your kit that stuff starts adding up real quick right mm-hmm. so you know something to think about but uh, i i gotta say uh, i i'm gonna have a hard time going back from my fixed some UK uh, three slotted T rings. They're pretty sweet. <laughs> I'm going to have to find a way to get Andrew on the show at some point. He pre- seems to be a pretty humble guy, but uh, you never know. Maybe he'll come up. Just ask him about machining and I bet that'll get him. You know, you know, <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of lathe do you use? And we'll change it from dive in the podcast to dive in the machine cast. And uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, it doesn't even make sense. <laughs> When you mentioned Gary Dallas earlier, the only thing I could think of was that uh, that TikTok types transition video he had earlier this week, which has kind of disappeared from socials. But he just like mm-hmm. walking along and and just takes his like fleece jacket off, and then the next thing he's like haul in full side mount gear, holding holding his tank, going in the water. That was that was a pretty sweet clip. Yeah, I didn't even get to see it, and uh, yeah, I don't have I don't have TikTok or Instagram, so uh, maybe one of these days it'll surface again, and I'll get a chance to see it. Now check your DMs, buddy. We'll make sure you get it. Check your DMs. (laughs) We'll get you on there. Uh, Well, you guys know, and my Instagram followers know because I like to share things, but 
uh, that I like that I've been working on clipping tanks on and off on. I'm in back mount, not the side mount. But the biggest mm-hmm. thing I have realized with these uh, shoulder D rings and the D rings kind of down below for me, it's like kind of on my side where I'm clipping the tanks. Is uh, you should really study that because you might think you know your uh, your harness, and then you get underwater and you're like, "Where the hell are these D rings?" Because <laughs> I was trying to clip about six inches further back than where my D ring actually was because honestly, I just didn't take the twenty seconds before getting in to be like, "Yes, this D ring is here." And like practicing (laughs) the motion of like, okay, here's like my hip bone, here's this, okay, that's where the D-ring is. So yeah, I think even just studying, so you actually know where those D-rings are. Yeah, I mean, like I would agree, of course, I'm not going to get into the full spiel of like my thoughts on on running drills and all the rest of that, because I think (laughs) we've all, we're probably all well aware of where my perspective is on that, but... (laughs) Long and short of it is for for memorizing or what I would call like index indexing your kit, I think is like a super important piece of uh, of diving, especially yeah. as you kind of progress towards technical diving and you're trying to get serious about that stuff. And, you know, one of the things that I do, which again, whatever for maybe nobody, I'm, assu- I'm sure other people can't just, uh, and mm-hmm. this comes from significantly uh, other pieces of my like sports and all this, all this other stuff. But I'll throw on my gear uh, completely dry and then just kind of close my eyes and run through indexing. Mm-hmm. And so that'll basically be I'll have a, a D-ring or if it's like, you know, practicing for uh, clipping off stages, I'll just have like a, a traditional um, bolt snap uh, and I'll put it in my hand as if it were attached to a stage. And then I'll run through all my clip points of where I might have to clip and or unclip. And I do the same thing so that I'm aware at each point and even when i slide my uh when i slide my um i guess sliding d-rings forward on the waist (laughs) clip that i'm fully aware of like where to find those when they clip because it it does become it's one of those things where if if you're thinking that you're going to start looking for this at a point when you need it then it's it's well too late for that like frankly you should have this index yeah yeah so it's as you know as stupid i guess as you might look when you're doing this and you know my wife comes downstairs and catches me like you know <laughs> fully kitted a, up in the basement fully kitted out harness in the basement <laughs> with my eyes closed like clipping you know uh one d-ring to another d-ring into a clip point to a, another clip point it's it's a thing but you know it, it pays off in the water what can i tell you when i when i get in the water it really pays off Oh, Nick, are you in your scuba gear in the basement <laughs> again? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, well, you know, you no, know that's what? Awesome. I, you know, we we give him a lot of shit for, for <laughs> running drills, but you know, in in fairness, you know, when Amit has, a, I respect Amit because he has he has a goal in mind in the long term, mm-hmm. and I think the stuff that he does, you know, whether it's in five meters of water or, or forty meters of water. And the drills he practices in his sleep, I think, you know, that's the kind of stuff that could save him one day. So, Absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we no. might we might like to rib you for it, but I actually respect <laughs> you for putting the time in for that. Uh, well, much appreciated. I wish I was more agreed. like Mitt. Definitely agreed. We, we give him a hard time, but it's just because we're all jealous of his dedication, it's, I think. It's really you. <laughs> it's all well, there jealousy. You there you go. Wish no. I was more like my scuba dad every day. There you go. <laughs> anyway, I don't know where I'm going. I do know where I'm going to the end of the show. 
it's, <laughs> it's time to wrap things up. That does it for today's episode. I want to say thank you again to Andrew Risable for joining us on the episode. It was a pleasure chatting with him. And we can't wait till we can get his wife Lily on and chat to her about her unique experiences in free diving in the icy Ontario waters. No. Um, and uh, and all those experiences that went along with that. And uh, yeah, so it was a lot of fun. Another, another great episode with my favorite four, three other uh, <laughs> <laughs> diving uh, compadres. So thanks, Nick. Thanks for setting up the interview. Thanks for uh, doing everything you do on the show. I'm no longer in the hot seat, so it's been a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> hey, April, thank you. Thanks for everything. Yes, thank you for having me. Always uh, happy to come and chat. And it was awesome hearing from Andrew. And I think uh, I could have a whole other interview with him talking about cold water benefits and that kind of stuff. So I really enjoyed it. And diving in Tobermory. Yeah, and diving in Tobermory. <laughs> and a bit. <laughs> Thanks for clearing uh, clearing things up on D-Rings. Yeah, I don't know if I cleared them up, but maybe we mudged <laughs> the water a bit. Uh, and either way, very happy to do it. Very happy to be here. Awesome. Don't forget, you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash diveinpod. And get some fun rewards for doing so. Visit our website, diveinpod.com, for all the links you need, episodes, merch, and so much more. On social media, you can follow me at idiveokay. I'm at April Weikert. I'm at Nicholas Winkler Photography. Next week, we speak to Donnie Mack, freedive instructor based in Taiwan and a host of the Freedive Cafe podcast. This episode of Dive in the Podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Torpedo Ray Scuba. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. Reviews are one of the best ways to help others find the podcast. If you made it this far, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>